Well, good morning. I'm Aaron Scantlin. I'm the worship and youth pastor here at Sunlight. And I want to welcome you again, both everyone who's here and those who are watching online. Well, this is our last week in the Lamentation series, Grace and Grief. We've seen that laments come in several forms. Laments can be songs, they can be prayers, and they can be poems to God. They have four parts, calling on the Lord, bringing complaints to him, making a request, and ultimately trusting him. We've heard laments from Pastor John, from Neil, and from others in the church, several of which were prayers, calling out to the Lord with deep emotions and longing. This week, as we wrap up our series, I've written a lament in the form of a poem. Everyone has their ups and downs in life. We go through good times when things seem great, and sometimes we experience difficult hardships when things feel like nothing will be right again. Some people deal with depression more than others and face that long tunnel of despair where it seems that there'll never be any light at the end of the tunnel. There, of course, always is. The Father is always with us, and his mercies are new every morning. But when we're in the depths of depression, it doesn't feel like it will ever end. So I wrote a lament called A Lament of Depression. God, where are you? In the depths of my despair, I cry out to you. I do not feel you. You are far from me in my deepest depression. I call on you but hear no reply. Your gentle voice is silent to me. My ears hear only silence. Where is your face, O Lord? My heart constricts in my chest and my breath has left me. My body tightens in anxiety for lack of your presence. My tears flow out without ceasing with no one to comfort me. I have no more tears to give. I lie awake without rest with thoughts of fear. Where can I go and to whom can I turn? My mind races, but you do not give me peace. My soul aches for relief, yet I find none. But still will I trust you, O God. For who can I turn to but you? Who can fix my desperation except you? You, O Lord, are ever my refuge and strength. Even when I wait for your deliverance, I know that your response is the only answer. No one else knows what is best for me. You are an all-powerful God. You are an all-knowing God. To you alone can I turn in time of need. Praise be to the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. Though I am smaller than an ant, you know every part of me down to my very last hair. You will not fail me now or ever. I put my faith in your goodness and everlasting love. I hold on to your promises of eternal peace and rest. You alone are my anchor and rock, O Lord. On you alone can I depend. Hear my heart, O God. Hear my heart. I'm so thankful for God's word when things feel hopeless, 
I can turn to the truth of Scripture and remind myself that God is still good and he will come through. Faith holds on through the pain and his word drives our thoughts to the truth of his promises and who he is. So let's pray as we open God's word together. God, we call on you this morning to bring forth something for us to hear that only you can teach us, that only you can give us. You've promised that as we open your word that you will speak to us. You've promised that, God. It won't return void, that there will be a response from you. So, God, we, we call on you to answer your promise and speak to us this morning. Give us ears to hear as we open your word. We rely on your Holy Spirit, God, to speak. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we come to the final chapter of Lamentations. Lamentations 5 is unlike the first four chapters in the fact that it's not a poem, but is instead a prayer. The first four chapters are acrostics following the Hebrew alphabet as they go down. But chapter 5 doesn't follow that model. It still has 22 verses, like chapters 1, 2, and 4, but it's a prayer that encapsulates the entire Bible. Well, not the entire Bible, but the entire book of Lamentations. Jeremiah is calling on the Lord, presenting the nation's complaints to him, asking him to remember them, and ultimately acknowledging his power and goodness and ability to change their circumstances. In this final chapter, there are four main sections. First, Jeremiah calls out to God to remember them, to remember his promises he has made to his people. Then, like much of the rest of the book, we get a picture of the Israelites struggling to survive. They've been devastated. In the third section, we see them suffering in shame over the fall they've taken from such great heights to such a low and humbling place. But finally, they acknowledge an eternal king who sits on his throne. They implore God for restoration and renewal, from darkness to renewal. Both chapter 5 and the whole book can be seen through this lens. We can have grace and grief because of Jesus. He brings us from darkness to renewal. So let's look at the first verse of chapter 5. You can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along in our app if you go to the Sunlight app and just click on the part called Read the Bible at the top. It'll take you through to the Bible app and it has the passage there and it also has a digital bulletin. So verse 1 says, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. It's okay to beg God to remember his promises. We see it time and time again in scripture. Godly men ask the Lord to remember his promises, not to forget them, to be true to his word. And not only that, God promises that he's going to remember his own promises. In Genesis chapter 8 and 9, he tells Noah that he will remember the promises he has made and the covenant he has made both to Noah and to all people, all mankind. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses entreats God to remember his covenant he has made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when the Israelites made the golden calf. He's calling on God to spare them, spare the people. In Psalm 25, David calls out to the Lord to remember his mercy, imploring God to be merciful to him and not hold his sin against him. In that same spirit, Jeremiah calls on the Lord to remember his people. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. This isn't a passive, hey, remember when? No, this remember is a call to action. Jeremiah is boldly begging God, remember us. Don't forget our plight, God. Come in power and fix the problem. Restore us. Of course, he hasn't forgotten what has happened both to the Israelites or to us. And he hasn't forgotten what's going on in our life. But we sometimes feel like he has when we're in pain, whether from circumstances outside of our control or because of our own sin. We wonder where he is and if he cares about our predicament. And the good news is that God is so loving, he wants to hear about our hurts and our fears. He can handle anything that we throw at him. And he, and he calls us, as we call him, to remember his love and promises that he's given to us. In this way, lament is a path to grace. When we call on God to remember who he is, we are reminded ourselves of who he is and what he has already done for his people and for us. We remember his mercy that he's shown to us in the past and the grace he has given to us. So now let's open back and look at verses 2 through 10. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. In this section of the chapter, Israel is just struggling to survive. They've lost their inheritance from God. They've lost family, becoming orphans and widows. The family structure was the Israelites' physical and spiritual connection to the covenant God had made with their ancestors. They were facing physical and spiritual abandonment. In verses 4 and 6, we see that they were without the basic necessities of life, without food and water and wood. They were being chased endlessly. Gathering food was difficult due to the attacks they were constantly encountering. Verse 10 says that there were famines in the land. They were feeling the oppression of not being able to support themselves with the very basics of survival. Maybe you've been in this situation at some point in your life 
struggling to make it week to week, just wondering how you're going to provide for your family. In verse 6, the Israelites are seeking help from other countries instead of God. Peoples from other countries who were once slaves now rule over them. And this is a direct reversal of fate as the law commanded the Israelites to care for the orphans and the widows and the foreigners that were in their midst. But they didn't do it. And now they have become orphans and widows and are ruled by foreigners that they once mistreated. In verse 7, we see that the fathers of Israel have been wiped out and are no more due to their sin. And this has passed down judgment on the youth, the ones who have been left behind. But restoration does not come to those who are in denial. We have to face the truth of our sin. We have to own up to where it has landed us. We must see the truth of what we are going through. And Jeremiah is doing that here in these verses. He's stating the facts of what is happening to them and where they are. He asks if destruction is meaningless. He asks this, we ask the same thing at times as well when we're broken and in the dark. Is all this hurt and pain meaningless, God? No, it's not. We must look to God and look to his character in time of struggle. The pain we experience sets up the opportunity for God to remember us. The roadmap for navigating pain is the remembrance of God. Now let's go to the next section and read verses 11 through 18. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim for Mount Zion, which lies desolate. Jackals prowl over it. In these verses, we see the Israelites suffering in shame. Great acts of violence have been perpetrated on the women. The princes have been disgraced, and the elders are also shown no respect. Verse 12 says, princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men and boys have been forced into demeaning hard labor. The city has become silent. The old men have left the city gates empty. The place of gathering for justice was accomplished there through the passing of judgment. There's no more music from the younger men. No more joy or dancing. Verse 15 says, The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. Now this is a direct reversal of David's exclamation of joy in Psalm 30, verse 11, when he says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. We sing along with David in the song Graves into Gardens, 
The bridge says you've turned mourning to dancing. You bring beauty from ashes. What a great truth to hold on to. We can turn to praise and worship both in psalms and modern worship music to remind us of the goodness of God. But that's not what's happening here to the Israelites. It's the opposite. Their dancing has been turned to mourning. The pride of their position is gone. They thought they were the crown of God's eye, but now the crown has fallen off, according to verse 16. They see that they have sinned, and they have become heartsick due to their sin. Their eyes grow dim. They're losing the life from their bodies as they see their shame. Even the temple has been ransacked and animals inhabit it. The people are suffering in shame. They see their sin and how they've brought this upon themselves and they finally begin to feel and acknowledge the pain and sorrow that has come from the consequences of their sin. Have you ever been riddled with guilt or shame over your sin? Stuck in the hurt and sadness of your situation? Broken and devastated by the consequences of your actions? This is a hard place to be. No one wants to sit in that place, but it also feels at times like it's a place that you don't know how to get out of. But God, God is working even in our lowliest of places. These hardships and suffering we face humble us and it turns us back to the Lord. His discipline is good and loving. He does not want to see us to be stuck in our sin and shame. He wants to pull us out of the muck and bring us back to himself. When we are heartsick over our sin, what God wants from us is a contrite heart. David says in Psalm 51, 17, that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God accepts those who are heartsick and broken over their sin. He doesn't want rituals. He wants our heart. Are you stuck in the mire of sin right now? The beauty of the gospel is that the Lord is ever present and waiting for us to repent and call on him. Our sin is already paid for by Jesus' redeeming work on the cross. All we have to do is turn back to him and he will heal us and restore our right relationship with him. Isn't it odd that when we first understand the gospel and accept his grace for the first time, we come to him understanding our utter need for a savior, that there is nothing else that we can do to earn salvation. But we seem to forget that as we walk in our spiritual journey with Christ. We face sin in our life and feel the need to clean ourselves up before we can come back to the Father. We feel like we aren't good enough and need to earn back his trust. But this isn't truth. This is not the gospel. We couldn't earn our salvation to begin with, and we can't earn it now. We're human, and though we've been washed of our sin for all eternity, we still sin on earth. You need to know that there is nothing you can do to clean yourself up. Only God can do it. And he wants to. Just simply turn back to him 
and he promises he will forgive us and heal us. The way out is Jesus and only Jesus. But even in our pain, the Lord reigns forever. We finally come to the wrap-up of the entire book of Lamentations. And in this last section, we finally see a glimmer of hope. Not complete trust yet, because they have no resolution to their circumstances. They couldn't see the end of the story. They were still waiting on the Lord. But we know the end of the story. God does come through. He doesn't forget them and he hasn't forgotten us. He sends his son to make things right. So let's read the last part of the passage, verses 19 through 22. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. But you, O Lord, reign forever. God is always king on his throne. He cannot be dethroned. God is in complete control and he's fulfilling every event in history to his purposes. He works all out for good. We can't always see it, but he knows how it all works together. When we look at the laments in the Bible, we see that God's sovereign power is not undone by suffering. Yes, hard things are happening, sometimes even horrible things that we can't imagine how we can endure through. But yet, God, he reigns forever. His plan is in motion and nothing can stop it. We can hold on to the fact that he is still in control through all of this pain. Even when it seems like God cannot be found and evil is winning, we know that he isn't actually distant. He's still at work, countering evil at every turn and working all things out for good and for our good. Books like Lamentations help us trust the God who wrote the whole story from death to life, from darkness to renewal. For the Israelites, God had actually already prophesied that he would restore them. He promises he will give them new hearts. In Jeremiah chapter 31, he reiterates his covenant with them. Let's read Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. At this point, at the same time period, Ezekiel confirmed this promise. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God is speaking to the Israelites and he says, I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you. It is only God that can bring restoration and renewal. We cannot do this for ourselves. God is at work and he is moving in our lives. He will put a new heart and a new spirit within us. And lamenting is a path God has given us to lead us back to him through our dependence on him. He knows we need to vent our hearts and our frustrations. And when we lament, we also rehearse the truth of who he is, both to him and to ourselves. It leads us to what we need the most, being right with God, restoring relationship with him. Like Jeremiah and David, when we lament, we hold the whole story of the gospel in our minds and hearts. Because the gospel is where we need to end up when we are lamenting. He is the only one we can turn to because he holds all things in his hands. All authority and power has been given to Jesus. He broke the power and shame of death on our behalf. Hard things still come in life. Discipline comes from a loving father when we sin. But his atoning grace is so much greater. It's chasing us down as God pursues us. Our good shepherd is correcting us. He's searching and finding us and protecting us throughout the trials of life. But beyond that, we have a suffering savior. He is a man of sorrows. We sing a song about that too. As we bring our sorrows to Jesus, We're bringing him to Jesus who is actually equally, if not more, acquainted with sorrow. He has experienced our pain, and he is also the answer to our pain. Sin is the cause of all hurt and brokenness, but Jesus conquered it on the cross. The gospel, the good news, we don't have to be stuck in our sin and pain any longer because he has made a way out for us. Well, so what? What does this mean for us? Well, first of all, it's okay to beg God to remember his promises. He wants us to call out to him and to call on him and say, God, you've promised this to us. Be true to your word. And number two, Restoration does not come to those in denial. We can't pretend like sin isn't affecting us and isn't affecting our relationship with others and especially with God. We need to own up to the truth of where it has landed us and not be in denial. And third, we have to remember that even in our pain, the Lord reigns forever. We trust in a God that reigns, that cannot be dethroned, that sits on his throne in heaven, is control of everything, and we can count on him. And then, like Paul, we can say that all suffering we face now cannot possibly compare to the glory to come. We feel 85 years on life of, on earth like a long lifetime. Sometimes it feels like forever to us, but it's because that's all we see and it's all we've known. Each year just feels like a long time to us. But in reality, it's more 
We're more like little kids who think that we're so big. But this life is actually just a blip when compared to eternity. And we have to live that way. Even though we have no experience with living forever, living thousands, millions, living trillions of of years, we have to trust an eternal God who promises he will make all things right forever. But until then, we groan and we cannot wait until his future final victory has been accomplished. When Jesus will return at the end of history on this earth and judge one last final time. But if there's anything that you take away from this whole series and the book of Lamentations, we hope that you've learned a new way to pray. Maybe you're going through a difficult time right now. I encourage you to either write or to pray a lament to God. And if things aren't hard right now, sometime soon they're going to be. And so we ask that you would remember the book of Lamentations. You would remember lament. That is a path to God's grace. So here's the structure of lament one last time. Call out, complain, ask, and trust. Call out on him. Voice your complaints. Ask him to respond and trust him. Call out, complain, ask, and trust. Over the last few weeks, we've seen the holiness of God. We've seen the need to confront the idols that we've worshipped in our lives. We've been reminded of the brokenness of this world, but the fact that through it all, God is good. Good comes through all that God does. And laments are markers. They're monuments that remind us of the lessons we've learned through pain and suffering. We don't just cry. We cry out to God. In the song, Graves Into Gardens, verse 2 says this, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you see them all, and you still call me friend. Because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley, and there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there is nothing better than you. So I'm going to pray, and then let's sing this song together. God doesn't leave us in despair. He brings hope to a lost and hopeless situation. He's the God who brings us from darkness to renewal, the God who turns graves into gardens. God, we call on you today. It's been difficult to be in this series and to just uh, hear over and over and over again the destruction and the desolation that comes from sin, from turning against you, from not listening to your word and following what you've called us to do. But God, we're so thankful that you are ever-present, that you are always there, you're always waiting for us to come back, and you're willing to forgive us as soon as we repent and come to you. So God, we just call on you to remember your promises today. We acknowledge 
the sin that's in our life and we turn from it, God. And we remember that you are on your throne forever, even in our pain. Come to us, Lord. Restore us. Renew us. God, we love you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.